0: Dadhood.
1: Dadhood Modern Dadhood Podcast. <laughs> We're back. Hello. Hello. Hello, Dads. This is Modern Dadhood. It's an ongoing conversation about the joys, challenges, and general insanity of being a dad in this
0: moment. I love it. For me, it's mostly been insanity. Yeah, it is a Lately. it's
1: absolute craziness. Mm-hmm. My name's Adam Flaherty. I am a father of two girls, almost
0: six and almost three and my name is mark checkett i 'm a dad of twin boys twenty months old at this particular moment.
1: We are not experts we 're just like minded dads who love doing this job and love talking about it
0: mark what 's the
1: worst smell in your household that your kids produce or contribute to?
0: <laughs> Thanks for Thank you for clarifying because I would have gone. I would have taken us down a really weird path, I think. Um, the worst smell that's going on right now in my household, it's funny. The other day we went to take a bunch of clothes to like a consignment shop and I was doing like a smell test just to make sure things were, were, you know, good quality so that I can, I can drop them off without feeling like an awful person. My, one of my sons has a habit of chewing like everything that's in front of him. And we had these sleep sacks that he chewed on. And I thought, let me just give him a quick sniff it was i mean i'm going to say it smelled like old cheese but that that does not that doesn't do enough to explain just how awful this smell was
1: we've learned that your boys do like they, they gravitate towards cheesy food products. <laughs> yeah. Does the old saliva having a cheese smell, is that a reflection of them eating a lot of cheese?
0: I mean, I think it could be cheese. It could be, it could be milk or like uh, also yogurt-based kind of could be coming from something like that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it did, that's where my mind went as I recoiled in horror after having given these a quick, I mean, here's how bad it was. I knew I didn't even need to ask my wife if these were worthwhile. To drop off. I put them directly into the garbage can.
1: Nobody else would want those.
0: No, they were not going to, they were not going to help anyone's lives.
1: It's funny because saliva is the type of thing that, you know, in the moment, yeah, it's, it's gross, but it also feels pretty harmless, mm. but it's one of those things that doesn't age well.
0: No, no, it, def- <laughs> it definitely does not age well.
1: The worst smell in my house is by far the diaper pail. Do you guys have one of these diaper genies? Yeah, we did. We did an amazing contraption. I'm so grateful for it. We got it as a gift before our first daughter was born. We've loaded it up with hundreds and hundreds of disgusting poopy diapers, Mm -hmm. and it's done a great job of containing the smell. The problem is when you go to take out the bag, you need to hold your breath because it is so overwhelmingly disgusting. I think I would pass out if I didn't (laughs) hold my breath. So you have to, Mm -hmm. you have to think how long is it going to take me to open up the thing to use the razor tool inside to tie off the bag and to get that thing closed before I breathe again. And you really probably should give yourself an extra 10 seconds after that because it will linger. Yeah. The funny thing is if you look inside the diaper pail, it looks very clean, but it's like, where is the smell? I think it seeps into the pores of the plastic on the inside of the
0: pail. They gotta work on. They gotta work on that. I, I know exactly what you mean. Do you ever try the method where uh, you? This is after the razor thing, right? Yeah. And you now have the bag in your hand. Do you? Do you just spin as fast as you can to kind of close up the top of that bag? Do you ever try that?
1: I've never done that, but it's definitely going to be a technique that I try moving I, forward.
0: I, I, I think what happens is you. I, I like to spin and then push my my hand that's holding the spinning bag out while I turn the other way and take a nice little extra breath.
1: Why do we do this stuff, though? Why, why are we willing to put ourselves through these disgusting unpleasantries?
0: Uh, could it just be that we're sleep-deprived? We really we
1: have no choice, right? The stuff has to get done. Mm. But truthfully, as unpleasant as these smells are, I, I, I love my kids and I'll do anything for my kids. And that sort of segues into today's theme which is Emotional Vulnerability.
0: Emotional Vulnerability. Hey, Beth, we're just having ourselves a little cry. (laughs) Strong
1: men also cry. Strong
2: men also cry. I I sometimes cry a
1: lot. (laughs) What got me thinking about and, and starting to plan this episode was this idea that as soon as our first daughter was born, six years ago, I've just felt like at any given moment, I could break down in tears. If I think about my daughters or I look at a picture, think back to when they were experiencing something for the first time, I could pretty easily be moved to tears. And that's Mm -hmm. something that is,
0: has not always been the case. Are you a crier, Mark? Um, I've, I've been known to well up on occasion. I don't think I experienced emotions that way quite like you do. I mean, there are definitely things where uh, you know, I've been, uh, something happened and I'm all of a sudden crying and I'd like, why am I, why am I, what happened? Why am I crying right now? But I think, um, for me, I think it actually happens a little bit more on the other side of the spectrum where I get really excited or really elated about something that is for the most part, kind of mundane or would not have moved me in any way prior to having kids. So I think I know what you're talking about. I know where you're coming from. Um,
1: are your, are your eyes getting, are are you welling up a little bit right now? No. (laughs) I think more so to your point, it's, it's not even just that we're, we've become criers. I think that there's this general heightened state of emotion. And I think that it's something that, you know, we shouldn't be ashamed of, but it does make us vulnerable in some
0: ways. Mm -hmm. The emotions are kind of just, they're right there a lot of the time. That's what it is. Yeah. They're just right. They're just right there waiting to be, waiting to be utilized.
1: So one evening recently, I drove to a brand new restaurant called The Garrison to meet with my old friend, Christian Hayes, who is an entrepreneur, a restaurateur, a musician. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And we both have two daughters. I've never met his kids in all of the years that I've known him, but it was really genuinely nice to to catch up to share a bottle of his favorite wine and to talk about emotional vulnerability christian
2: adam <laughs> how goes it man well it's been when was the last time we saw each other i can't even think of it is definitely over 10 years
1: yeah yeah it's been a long time yeah but i still feel like we're close because i've follow
2: you on social media i love it man people want to hate on that shit but it keeps me connected man with people that i really care about you know like you and i and our bands and stuff we cut our teeth it was like really formative years you know when we were playing music Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know what's really strange to me is when on social media i love it i love connecting with people i love like capturing moments with my kids and sharing it with people that i know and friends and but ever since we had Fiona, for the last eight years, so many people have been like, I-, "I love how much you love being a dad, or I love how much you love your kids. I love how much you do." And I'm like, "Like that's what you're supposed Everybody to is do, supposed man. To do that. I mean, I love I I love that people see that, and hopefully that resonates with them, or they can. But like, why in- why is that an enigma? Why is that like yeah. you- something that people like? I need to fucking get a badge for it for like loving my kids and taking them out and doing stuff with them and, like, just fawning over
1: them 24-7. Well, and it's not like you're working at it either. You just do that naturally because that's They're who you They're
2: my are. kids. That's why. <laughs> it's not even, it's like, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to make sure they stay alive and are loved and learn and also teach me stuff. And for some reason, I guess, like, the broader scope sees that as like a rarity
1: well what is it is there a lot of shitheads out there having kids i mean that's
2: always been the case right i
1: mean i think there's a lot of shitheads everywhere and yes they have kids like everybody else has kids and unfortunately those kids don't have that that same experience that your daughters and my daughters have but i feel like i'm seeing a trend in dads you know of our generation embracing it more and celebrating it more and that's like honestly the inspiration behind the conversation we're having here and the reason that I'm doing this whole podcast at all. Totally. I think my, just my trends in general with how I use social media are different anyway, even not specific to what I share about my kids. Yeah. yeah. But I have enjoyed following you even when we haven't been in touch and, and we're sitting here in your new restaurant, the Garrison, which is absolutely beautiful. (laughs) Thanks man. Yeah. So psyched to be here. (laughs)
2: It's almost killed me. This thing is an animal, man. Yeah,
1: it's weird. It's
2: it's re- very much like being a parent. Like you know, people tell you like the cliche shit. Like your life life is gonna change. You're you know you don't know what love is till you know all that stuff. And then it happens, and you're like, yeah, I didn't know shit. You don't know shit if you don't have kids. You know, you're just right right yeah. back there. Like and and you're it's a self fulfilling prophecy. You're telling the other people like you wait, you just wait. And the same thing was like with the restaurant like it's the stupidest thing you could do. It's like, it's like, it's, but if that's your passion, but if that's your passion, you gotta do it. Yeah. And that's so like with the catering, it's been 10 years and catering is an even more difficult animal, just like kids, you know, you kind of drown in the middle of that here and there too, but you, uh, you wouldn't trade it for anything, you know? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, let's talk about, uh, kids stuff, but first I want to share a little bit of context about our relationship. So we met, must have been 15 years ago. Dude, at least. I mean. And we were both singer-songwriters. Yeah. You know, the type of guys that you'd see, like, in a coffee shop. <laughs> yeah. But your songs were, like, really melodic, really soft, gentle music. Yeah. And then over the next few years, I saw this uh, evolution. <laughs> yeah. My whole background
2: growing up was rock and roll. Like, I love, love rock and roll. Rage Against Machine blew my mm-hmm. fucking mind when that record came out. Pearl Jam. I remember buying my first CD at Strawberry. It's a compact disc, and it was Pearl Jam. It was probably like $20, um, too, right? Yeah, it was like 35 yeah. bucks or something. And it
1: came in a plastic thing. <laughs> yeah, it, was it was like, like double the, was the height like of the CD. <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, so I was just like rock, 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 and I got an acoustic guitar, and, you know, I didn't have the means to play rock and roll, but I had the means to write songs. So it took a while just for me to kind of feel myself out, and then realized i want to play rock and roll
1: so we both started surrounding ourselves with same musicians yeah, yeah. kind of like in parallel and my project changed into something else and sidecar radio kind of kept growing and you grew this really organic fan base and became louder and harder <laughs>
2: yeah it was good yeah. that
1: last record that we put out was the the record that i had always wanted to put out with
2: that band And then we started just, yeah, we started to get shows, big rooms. Filled out the sound. We played some huge shows. We opened for, you know, Bush and Seether and a few other bands that summer. It was a dream come true, and it was amazing, and it was my identity for a long time. And then, I mean, obviously, like, having Fiona, boom. Every time I wasn't home, I wanted to be home. You know, you're chasing something that it's tangible at a certain point point. you can see it and you can feel it and you're playing in front of 3000 people or whatever, but you're walking away with no money. There's an energy and a fuel and so much validity that comes from an experience like that.
1: People don't realize how, how hard that is being in a band, especially when you gain some traction because it's, it is legitimately a business and you have to treat it like that when really all you want to do is like, play music with your buddies and have and have that energy that you were talking about from the audience but like meanwhile you're thinking about like well i can't book here because it's in the same market as this and we're playing next weekend And we gotta think about brutal. our draw and like what's the cover here and like and we're making nothing like, exactly and you're making you, no money you gotta
2: price match the major label right and so it was time
1: i was yeah. like i gotta close this chapter um anyway yeah we've digressed but what I was trying to get at was like that I I saw this evolution of Christian who I met when we were like both singer-songwriters to Christian who's the front person of this heavy rock act and the way that I knew that you were the same person was that you've always used the word family in everything that you do so if you're anything like me I think you are totally The moment that Sarah and I had our first daughter almost six years ago, I boarded this emotional roller coaster, and the theme of this episode is emotional vulnerability. Yeah, man. And I'm sort of on the verge of melting down, crying any given moment. Oh, yeah. You just got to show me a picture of my daughter and, like, say something about her, and, like, it could be waterworks. Totally, man. There
2: were two distinct experiences that I remember where I just couldn't really control it and one was Fiona was she probably hadn't even turned three right and so she's a person you know but she's Uh she can't I mean socially she doesn't know how to assimilate she doesn't know and we were at this restaurant that had a kids play area and you know and I just remember like all these kids like running around her and you know and there was this being that for the last, like, two years... Like, I've just held, you know what I mean? Just fawned over. 24 four I'm so in love with this little girl, you know? And she knows me. And she knows mom. And that's, that's sort of it. That's her world, you know? And then I saw her standing in the middle of this, like, playhouse. And kids are just running around. And she's trying. She wants to, like, be a part of it. Kids are not paying attention to her, which broke my fucking heart, you know? And at the time... I was touched by it, but later that night, I bawled like a baby. Yeah. Like bawled in bed, like just sobbed. Just
1: picturing that image of her. just picturing that image of her sort of lost. Trying to like make sense of the world
2: around her. Sort of lost, and I like sort of like transposed that to like, that's going to be... Scale it up in fifteen years when she's getting off a plane somewhere. Or she's like, and she doesn't have me. Yeah, Man. that's where right. It gets that's tough. why I was sobbing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other time, oh, the other time was recently when Cassidy had to go in for surgery,
1: and she's and she's, she's five coming up. Yeah,
2: uh, she's yeah coming up on five. She had this whole thing where she had like reflux from her bladder. There was a valve that wasn't working, and it was like refluxing up into. Um, her kidney, and her kidney was not doing well, and and there was an answer, and it was surgery, you know, and we were hoping to avoid that. She had been on antibiotics for like a year. That's not a good thing, and so surgery was, all right, this, here's the answer, and it was classic, man. It was like this hospital bed, and then there's little Cassidy. In her like gown and stuff, in her blanket, and I remember I was standing. It was like a fucking movie, man. I was just standing in this in the hospital hallway. The doors close. The bed the, the bed goes around the corner. And I just like look at Chris. And I just start crying.
1: I I have not met your daughter, and I'm pretty much there, man. <laughs> and then it's just the two of you, right? And
2: that's it. Right. And then yeah, she's gone. Like she's gone. She's in someone else's like, hands. I've always said like. The most dangerous place on earth is between me and my daughters. Yeah. Like, if you're in between me and my daughters... Oh, oh, Papa Bear's coming seriously, man. Like, I take that shit so serious. Oh, yes. And when there's no scale to that, when she's Mm -hmm. just gone, and knowing they were going to, like, cut her belly open. And then, of course, the whole perspective. I know people that have lost children. I know people that have been in the children's hospital for an eternity and lost Mm -hmm. their child. You know what I mean? So... It didn't take long for me to stop feeling bad for myself, but right. like you know appreciating the emotional aspect of the experience, but getting over it because honestly, like she's safe, she's fine, and we're so
1: fucking lucky so how do how do you um how do you process being that vulnerable I guess I've always been i am not a
2: confident person, you know, even though I take on challenges a lot, and a lot of them happen to be something that demands confidence. Like, being the front man of a band, as you know, like it honestly took me a decade to sort of even feel comfortable like I knew what I was doing. You know what I mean? So that's incredibly vulnerable mm-hmm. every time you walk out. The same thing with cooking, you know? Like, working, every job I've had is in the kitchen. And when you put something in front of somebody... I mean it's really fucking vulnerable. Same thing with Chops like I did not want to go on national TV and compete on this stupid game show, you know. That was one of the most vulnerable things to it. I guess I'm like a sucker for being for taking on a challenge that like makes me really really vulnerable. And all those things I think sort of maybe prepared me a little bit because I am an emotional person, you know.
1: It's interesting that there are so many parallels there and that there is this common theme of vulnerability and that you've been able to like recognize that and take that and then use it to your, use it to your advantage.
2: Yeah, dude. It's like, it's a dichotomy. It's so strange. I mean, I'm super, super vulnerable. I'm, um, filled with self doubt always. Um, but I am the first person to stand up and want to, take charge, and and get shit done. That's sort of, like, why I did the show. That's why I went on TV. That's why... And my kids still fucking watch that thing. Like, I remember, I was like, Chris sent me a video, and the kids were downstairs watching the episode on TV. And uh, they were, like, waiting for the moment when I won. And I talk about it. I'm like, it was really scary. Fiona told me, right before I left, because I had to fly down to New York, she said, are you nervous? And I said, yeah, I'm really nervous. Yeah. She goes, why are you nervous? And I go, well, I mean what's going to happen if I lose, you know? Like, and she said, absolutely nothing. This kid was like six at the time or whatever, you know? You're still her dad. Yeah. You're you're still successful to her. Yeah. She goes, nothing. You'll come home. And she's totally right. I was like, holy The wisdom, man, you know? (laughs) I was like, that's exactly what I would say. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. And then that vulnerability Mm -hmm.
1: allows them to teach you so much. Isn't it funny to think that one or two tiny people can take that vulnerability to an extreme to the point where, like, we could sit here and probably get each other crying just talking about our kids?
2: Yeah, dude. I mean, it cha- it changes you. And it's hard to really say how because, because it's this weird sort of combination of nostalgic. You're watching them discover so many things, whether it's like Christmas lights, bike, toys, a rainy school day, all those types of things, like you remember all those things, whether you did before or not, like they come back, and, you, sure. and you're watching them, and you're sort of reversing, you're like, you're going back to where they are, mm-hmm. and there's, so there's this like nostalgic, feel, emotional feeling too, that gets you so invested in their experiences, like Christmas, man, mm-hmm you know
1: when I when I was growing up and you know my mother would say or like relatives would say like Christmas is all about the kids when I was a kid I was like no way when I'm an adult still gonna be psyched about getting presents and stuff <laughs> and, and then you get to a point you have kids and you're like yeah I yeah. want to like hang out with my family yeah. and celebrate those pieces of Christmas but really like I just want to see the look on my kid's face yeah to to a whole generation
2: of human beings that are gonna circle Fiona I am nobody but Fiona's dad. That's it. That's all I am. Correct, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, a whole generation of humans. I'm just Fiona's dad. And and to Fiona, when they're looking at my hands, like, what they're seeing is I remember looking at my dad's hands. They seemed just so massive. And they were, like, hard. You know, there's calluses. I got burns, And you're, like, just constantly emotionally
1: drawn back to all those memories that you have. You know what I mean? Same thing happens to me with a certain smell, and it just brings me right back to a certain point. It's weird to think that our daughters are just being introduced to those things right now. Yeah. Not those specific things that we have, but like their own version of Yeah, they're of those forming now. That when they are 35 years old or 40 years old, it's going to zap them back yeah. to where they are right yeah. now. Is it like going to be my deodorant?
2: Yeah. Yeah, what's happening right now? and aren't, Like what are they going to remember?
1: Christian Hayes thank you so much It's it's been so much fun to catch up with you both on and off mic. I'm so proud of what you've done and I hope that you are proud of it too dude I am and I'm, the feeling's mutual dude like you were you were actually one of the first people
2: that I knew that like kind of like I remember when you went out and started doing your own thing I was like holy shit man he's mm-hmm. doing it mm-hmm. um, faking it faking yeah, well, it till you, you make it, it. dude <laughs> <laughs> honestly and um, yeah, I'm stoked I'm glad you're here thanks for doing Modern Dadhood yeah. Thanks for having me, man.
0: That was fantastic. I was thinking about so much as Christian was talking. And I was thinking about things like right before he would say them. Like I started thinking about my dad's hands. Wow. And it's funny to know that that's a thing that happens in other people's minds. Do you think that our kids are...
1: Paying attention to details like that just as a result of their worlds being so small.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I often think that as an adult, you have, you, there's just so much going on in, in your mind that focusing on any one particular thing. N- no matter what it is, is, is kind of difficult, right? I mean, you're driving to and from work, for example, really, you should just be paying attention to the road, but you're not, you're thinking about the 50 billion or so other things that either happened or that need to happen or whatever it is, right? That you don't often just stop and stare at someone's hands long enough to memorize every nook and cranny and crease and callous. Like he said, you know, my, my, my father was a Dentist by day, but he was a woodworker by night and he had these, he had these calluses all over his hands from, from carving and from holding uh, different tools. We kind of deprive ourselves of that opportunity and we don't take those opportunities anymore to just sit and look at one thing and memorize every detail of it.
1: I want to do a segment. The segment was your idea. I'm pretending like it was my idea. The segment is your idea. Pretend away, man. It's called, maybe you can do the.
0: Do a live intro, like just do it live right now. I want
1: you to be the Carl Castle. uh, Who is it now? Bill Curtis. Bill
0: Curtis. Be the Bill Curtis
1: to Mm -hmm. my Peter Sagal. We're moving into a segment that we'd like to call. Did I just say that out loud? Obviously, we find ourselves saying really weird things that if you don't have kids, you really have, you know, have no business saying. (laughs) Uh And I want to share one. And I know you've got one, too. I was with my daughter who is two and a half years old. And as much as we try to feed them well-balanced meals, you know, they just snack and they are very picky about their food. But we try to introduce salad now and then. And one of the things that we found that they will actually, you know, sort of pick at is Caesar salad. Hmm. I'm not making Caesar salad myself. These are like the bagged salads. But my feeling is if I can get them to eat a little bit of lettuce, then like, Big <laughs> then that's a Big win for win. Me. Yeah. yeah. But these uh, bags yeah. of salad come with uh, you know a pack of croutons, mm. and my girls love the croutons.
0: Who doesn't them. love a good crouton?
1: I will say that those croutons are particularly bad croutons. Oh, They're mm. small. They're not good croutons, but my girls love them. They love them. And they mm. call them crunchies. And... Because they're so imaginative and sort of always in this state of imagination and play, uh, my two and a half year old daughter decided that her Crunchy um, was, you know, some kind of character. Mm. And so she said, pretend my Crunchy has a mouth. Yeah. (laughs) Pretend my Crunchy has a mouth. So then I have to repeat back, oh, it it appears that your Crunchy has a mouth Uh and it's speaking and it's interacting with me. And that is my, did I just say that out loud? Your Crunchy has a mouth. What did
0: your crunchy say? I don't remember. (laughs) I'm the worst crunchy you'll ever have. I'm inferior. (laughs) Um, I have one. I have one. And I I wrote this one down, so I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to come straight out cold with it. I said, and I said it in a very calm, I was down on my son's level. I was arm around him and I was looking right at him because I really wanted him to register this. And I said, remember... We don't throw the school bus at the doggy. Amazing, and I meant I meant it. <laughs> of course, I meant you did one hundred percent. And I repeated it a lot that day because it was a real problem. <laughs> we have a small school bus, so larger than a matchbox car, smaller than your average uh, RC car, and it's metal and it's perfect. It's perfectly tiny, toddler hand size to just get your hand around it and really like ball up around it and, and give it a good like zing. I imagine that it's
1: infinitely more fun to throw it than to roll it across the floor.
0: Yeah. Especially when
1: you've got a target like the dog.
0: Yeah, yeah. A target, a a fun-looking target, a target that responds immediately (laughs) when something like this is happening to you. With anger
1: or with love or?
0: It's sort of, I don't know, what do you call the, it's sort of like a, can you get me the fuck out of here, please? Uh, Why are you, what did I do to deserve this abuse? Why the school bus? Anything but the school bus. Why couldn't it have been the teddy bear? Remember, we don't throw the school bus at the talkie.
1: So that's going to do it for this episode of Modern Dadhood, Mark.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: Adam. Dads, we would invite you to find us at moderndadhood.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please subscribe, download, and if you're really, really digging this program, a review on Apple Podcasts would go a long way for us. Please email us at hey, H-E-Y, as in hello or yo or greetings, at dadhood.com. We will do our best to respond and we thoroughly enjoy correspondence with you. I think more so than anything it's just sort of the word of mouth yeah yeah talk to your friends about it talk to your dad friends you know there's some moms listening to this hi moms I hope that they're thinking I wish my husband was more like those guys
0: they're oh, so great absolutely absolutely get them on Get it. you know what hey this is a special message to you moms out there the next time your husband's in the shower just cue up a modern dad hood and just set it right there next to his toothbrush for when he gets out brush those, those dirty coffee teeth he's gonna he's gonna immediately get into it he's gonna appreciate it in the long run
1: it's it's like not so subliminal messaging but hopefully it's programming that he'll actually really enjoy thank you to casper baby pants and to spencer Alby for the awesome music in our program thank you to you mark for the graphic work you're a, an amazing designer i love our artwork you're welcome and thank you for listening and being part of this Adios. Go. <laughs> Shit, he did it again. Goodbye.